I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. The South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on matters of public policy, providing explanations of how church teaching applies to the issues of our day. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try and cultivate those virtues and principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. And I, you know, I'm, I'm back in the studio chair, and this is just really, really exciting. This is great. I got a call a couple of months ago from Real Presence Radio. So this, our podcast has been, we've been up and, and running for um, maybe 10 or 12 episodes now, but this is our, our first broadcast on Real Presence Radio, which uh, if I remember from the live drive a couple weeks ago, is five states, a couple of million people, which is just a really, really exciting uh, platform to kind of get out the message of, of what uh, this podcast is all about. We've got an exciting month ahead. We're going to be broadcasting every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And our lineup in the month ahead, it's just like really a timely thing to launch on Real Presence Radio in the month of June, because some of you may recall that that's um, what we used to call the Fortnite for Freedom, kind of leading up to Religious Freedom Week. Um, between these two great feasts of St. Thomas More on June 22nd and Saints Peter and Paul on the 29th of June, these uh, a layman and, and clergy, these martyrs that, that really inspire us to live, uh, live well uh, as citizens. And so I'm really, really excited to, to bring just some amazing guests to you in the month ahead. Father Michael Malloy from the Diocese of Rapid City, the, the acting um, diocesan administrator out there. I'm really excited for uh, joining us from the University of Dallas is Professor Gerard Wegemer later in the month, a world-class St. Thomas More scholar. So we're really going to just fall in love with, with Thomas later in the month. And then, uh, and then a couple of other guests that will be a little maybe uh, more familiar from past episodes. But to kick us off in this inaugural episode on, on Real Presence Radio, I'm just so delighted uh, to welcome the ninth bishop of the Diocese of Sioux Falls, Bishop Donald DeGrood. Welcome, Bishop. Hey, thanks. It's a privilege to be with you. Bishop, would you please begin us with prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father is the giver of all good gifts. We thank you for the beautiful ways you fill us with your own divine life and love. That which we first get to receive in that beautiful and powerful sacrament of baptism, where you wash away original sin, <clears throat> and you give us those beautiful, beautiful gifts of the Holy Spirit. As we prepare for Pentecost coming up here so very soon, we just pray that our hearts might be open this day and each day to allow those gifts to come to the fullness of your holy will, to allow ourselves to, re to reach the potential that we each have, living out of that place of beloved, adopted sons and daughters of yours. And that's in every part of life, whether we're farmers or homemakers, homeschool moms, whether the work of the various professions of service, all the various um, opportunities we have here in South Dakota to be able to live out our vocation, the vocation of love, but in the particular way that you call us to, as single people, as married people, as people discerning our vocation, as religious, consecrated men and women, deacons, priests, bishops, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will just be released and that your holy will is done in and through us as you so desire. 
especially as we honor our dear Blessed Mother Mary, who witnessed that and modeled it so beautifully. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm Holy Spirit. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome. So you were uh, in- installed, ordained and installed as the, the Bishop of the Diocese of Sioux Falls back in February. And I've been, I've been taking notes ever since. I've, I've just Uh-oh. been like listening and, and taking Uh-oh. notes. And I'm, because every, you've said so many things that are just like, oh, I want to bring that in for this discussion of how we're just sort of living fully alive in the world. So, but before we get into my list, do you mind just sharing? Because it is such a big listening area. I know you're, you're coming from the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, brand new here in, in Sioux Falls. But can you just share with the listeners a little bit about, about who you are, your background? And- yeah, happy to, happy to. So I'm a, I'm a farm boy from Fairbolt, Minnesota, which is about an hour south of the Twin City area. St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, in Minnesota. And, um, you know, the heart, uh, the farm and the rural area has always been in my heart. In fact, when I dreamed about, uh, as a little kid, being a priest, I dreamed about being in a small rural parish. And uh, I'm still waiting for that day. Uh, God has, uh, but now, blessed me with a gr- beautiful rural diocese, uh, mostly. Uh, so it's really beautiful. It's been a great, great gift and a, a restoration of some desires of all the way back when I was a little kid. Uh, but I have uh, four four brothers. We love to tease the heck out of each other. So if I tease you on this uh, our time together, you'll know why. Uh, and it's been a real blessing for me to be able to just have great, great parents. Uh, my dad only went to eighth grade because uh, he was needed back in the farm. And so just really uh, common labor roots is what I come from. Uh, my mom got through high school, uh, but then they uh, my dad went to mil- uh, off to the service. He was drafted. And then when he got back, they were got married, which they'd been planning to do. They did it for many years. And um, so anyways, we grew up on the farm and then I just have had the sense to be a priest. And so anyways, long story short, God called me to that. I wrestled with my vocation. So I worked for about six years between college and uh, the major seminary and and I was ordained. And uh, yeah, it's been so awesome. I've been a priest 23 years, very different assignments, uh, more suburban sort of uh, parishes to city parish to um, chancery work like HR work with priests. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just a beautiful, uh, just peaceful day in the Shire of, uh, Savage, Minnesota. And I got a call at a, from a phone number I didn't recognize and I didn't answer it the first time. So the second time he called right back, I thought, oh, this is strange. I better answer it. So anyways, it was an uncio and, uh, said, Hey, um, basically I'm, I'm calling to tell you the Holy Father's appointed you the ninth Bishop of uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. My response was, Oh, it's like, Whoa. Okay can I have some time to pray about this and uh, talk to my spiritual director? And uh, uh, anyways, long story short, the, I went to the chapel uh, blessed, before the Blessed Sacrament. I knew I needed to only ask one question, God, what do you want? Because mm. I knew that's where I'd be at peace. Mm. That's what I did within 10, 12 minutes. Yes, and I'll give you everything you need. So uh, so here I am, and it's it's. I describe it to people. It's like the Lord's turned my whole world upside down, but now my life is turned right side up in a new and deepening way, meaning deeper surrender, deeper follow. So being willing to let go of, you know, the close connections with the parish that I was in and my brother priests and all the things familiar in the archdiocese, family, friends. And, you know, it's a reminder of that. Uh, it's the necessity reminded me to, we're to be missionary disciples. Mm. We need to be willing to go wherever the Lord sends us. And uh, it's certainly been a powerful grace. And the grace has just been incredible, not only the day of the ordination, uh, leading up to it, certainly the the moment of grace as I shared in the chapel, uh, but even in the time that I've been here, just the clarity, I pray and I get a sense on something, and then okay, let's go. 
You know, and I love that. I, I've heard you share this story a number of times, the call from the nuncio and this time of prayer. And it, I'm struck every time of just like this, this grace from the Lord, this real gift that um, just from my, my perspective seems to be like such a gift of freedom, not only unto you, but like unto the, uh, unto your flock too. So it's, it's mm. really beautiful and I'm grateful for it. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, you, you mentioned, you just used this, this phrase just now, missionary discipleship. And it's, it's a phrase that, that we've, in, in the Diocese of Sioux Falls, you know, I represent both uh, bishops of South Dakota, but I live in the Diocese of Sioux Falls. So I have occasion to, to hear you um, maybe a little more, but I hear this phrase and I'm just so struck by it because like my heart kind of leaps up like, yeah, that's it. Like that's the task. But there's a question too of like, what does this mean for, for us as citizens? So could you maybe just describe a little bit of like, maybe we'll get to citizenship, but first like what, what do you mean by missionary discipleship? What are some of the, the habits, dispositions, characteristics of the missionary disciples that you long for your flock to be? Yeah, I think, you know, we think of disciples, we often think of those who followed Jesus and the apostles of those that he particularly called for particular tasks. Uh, but what he did is he called the disciples to be with him, to live with him, to leave everything behind, their nets as fishermen, uh, tax collector, leave it all behind and follow me. Lots of questions. What's this going to mean? And, you know, can I say goodbye to my, my, my family, right? All these kinds of sort of things that typically come. And the Lord wants us to just follow, right? So being a disciple of Jesus means that we're willing to uh, just follow. We're, we've, we pray, we get a sense of what the Lord wants, and we go, mm -hmm. okay? So in other words, you go back to Scripture, and we see how Jesus did it. And Jesus lived with them, modeled it, taught them, corrected them, encourage them, right? Does all those things. And so what it looks like in a very practical way, it's very uh, human in the sense of how the Lord relates to us in the very ordinary things of family life, or if we're single, depending on what stage of life we're at and what's going on in our life. And that first comes to us in baptism. So we have to remember that when we're baptized, as I was saying the prayer, so original sin is washed away. God gives us the graces so that he can live in us to be known throughout the world. And so a missionary disciple is one not just that I receive, as the disciples did. They received for a while, and then what does he do? The apostles, he sends them out two by two. Mm. Take a walking stick, your sandals, and go. And God will provide the rest. So a missionary disciple, uh, as for citizens, if you will, as lay people, as consecrated men and women, as clergy, it means that we're willing to follow Jesus wherever he invites us to go, and that includes the circumstances of life. Everything that happens in our life is part of how God wants to relate to us. Our challenges, our joys, our hopes, our dreams, some of them aren't fulfilled. But to be a missionary disciple is I receive today what it is the Lord wants me to receive, his love. And then that love fills my heart. And then the missionary aspect means going out. So it's not just for us to receive God's grace, his love, and then to keep it all for ourselves. And it's like a selfish thing. The nature of divine love is to seek the good of the other. So a missionary disciple is one who follows Jesus. That's the discipleship part. And missionary means once we receive that, we go out and share the good news. Well, and I love too how you, a couple of different times, you made clear that, okay, two by two, he called them to be with him. There's really a communal element to this also that, which for me is, is a bit of like a sigh of relief of like, I'm, I'm not alone. Yes. You know, I'm with others. And there's like a joy in this, in this adventure with other Christians of yes. following Jesus. Um, 
and the, and vo- each vocation is different. So some vocations might look a little more, more solitary, but but that um, that spiritual reality of of we're in it together. Um, could you maybe maybe gonna put you? I don't know if this is on the spot or or a bit outside of how we normally think of missionary discipleship, but could you offer just a reflection on what this means? For us as Americans, as South Dakotans, in our lives as citizens, particularly, yeah. and this is maybe asking you to speak particularly to the lay vocation, which is, you know, the, the field of politics is not exclusively for laity. You know, mm-hmm. priests and sisters mm-hmm. vote and so on and so forth. But, but it, there's a maybe a primacy you might say for the for the laity in this field. Yeah. I think if we think of it similar to our baptism, when we are baptized and we're brought into relationship with the Lord, there's expectations that follow from that. The same is true in being a citizen in the United States. So as Catholics, when we live out our faith, we take that very seriously, and that becomes the governing principle by which we make our decisions. So as we fall in love with the Lord and we lose ourselves in love, as I was sharing earlier, we become very active in living our faith. It doesn't mean that every person is to be da- you know, writing letters to X, Y, or Z or your job or whatever it might be. But what it does mean is they take their voting serious. And it means that they are very intentional about the faith is what leads and governs the decision-making in our life. And that it's not just to hold back and hope everything turns out okay. It's to be actively engaged. Like when Jesus sent them out, it wasn't just go and see what happens. Mm. It's go out and make disciples of all nations. So in the beautiful gift that we have in, in our state, and now I'm, it, it's been so awesome for me to grow into this understanding that I'm a South Dakotan, you know, when I was a Minnesotan. But when I see so many good qualities already here, so many good values and authenticity, I often tell people I've experienced so much wholesomeness left, mm. and I'm so grateful for that, which I remember as a kid, right? That was part of that rural life for me growing up. Mm. and just the very, very basics and seeing my parents live it in a very, very ordinary way, their prayer, their support, not only for the church, but, um, you know, we, we all have a responsibility, not just faith ways, but faith-based, but we live in a society. So, but the key is we live in a society as Catholics. It's not, if it's the other way around, it's all messed up and it's going to get more messed up. Right. 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 So it's living out of that faith base of, who I am. I'm a disciple. What does that mean? It means how I live my life, how I vote, how I uh, care for the poor, how I reach out to others, right? So it, it has very, very, very practical implications that has very, very, very positive impact on society, that it's really not seeking just what's good for us. We pray, we let God motivate us, we share the good news, and we help others on the way to heaven. You know, that it's kind of a great lead-in to... Um one of the concerns I, I hear from people, varying walks of life, they could be Catholic, they could be um, maybe Protestant, or, or maybe not particularly religious, but I, in my work, I hear concerns that in the political sphere, we can't impose our religion on other, religion doesn't belong in politics, we've got to keep it out, um, and that kind of makes my job a bit challenging sometimes. I mean, I, I joke that my job is to get people ready for Thanksgiving dinner, uh-huh. which the two things you're not supposed to talk about are religion and politics. It's like, no, we got to talk about them. Yeah. So this concern though, it often comes up, uh, up for people, not necessarily on something where there's a broad consensus. Like, you know, most people would agree on like concern for the poor, even if we maybe disagree on like how to do that. Sure. Sure. But 
it comes up most often when the church is at odds with the world in some way. Yeah. Maybe abortion. It could be marriage in more recent years. What What would you have um, for somebody who has these concerns about, you know, wanting to drive this really bright line, keep it out? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And it's, you know, certainly a lot of uh, philosophical debates on what it should be and what it shouldn't be and how that works and what its dynamics are. I think the real key is, is that there needs to be a respect for each person's role, person in this case, meaning the role of politics, our, go- our government leaders, and the role of faith. When there's not mutual respect and we, uh, and we get to issues, let, you mentioned abortion example, or maybe it's marriage, whatever. So then it becomes, so is, is there a moral principle to any of these things? And if there's a moral principle, the church has not only uh, a right, but it has an obligation to defend the sanctity of life because we're dealing here with not just human uh, material, flesh and blood. We're dealing with made in the image and likeness of God with an immortal soul. So that's why the church is so strong on things like protecting the dignity of life, human life, from the moment of conception until natural death and all the implications where it can feel like, hold it now, the church shouldn't be weighing in on, let's say it's stem cell research or something where there's, uh, well, but there's a moral principle. And if we don't respect the place that the moral principle has, that's the role of the church to help the society form its conscience uh, in a way that's in accord with God's bigger plan. Because if not, a political society, society becomes whatever they want it to become. Mm. And of course, that's where we look in history. You think of Hitler, right? It became what he wanted it to become or other sort of you know, communist or whatever else. Then it's merely just a human thing and it's only human judgment. But that's not, that's not uh, being objective to other realities. So it's a matter of each party, if you will, respecting their role so it's not the church's role to figure out all the determination of, uh, for example, how a society provides for the poor. The church's role is to help form the conscience of the society, and that's why a role like yours, for example, is so important to help legislators maybe understand some of the Catholic perspective or Christian perspective or maybe even other Jewish perspectives, whatever it might be, that you can bring to the table so that there's an understanding of who we are as human beings and respecting the dignity of the person is respecting the conscience of that person. And so the conscience that's formed in that moral formation, Jewish tradition, or Catholic or Christian tradition, that's a part of who we are. And it's a part of uh, our right, if you will, through religious liberty, uh, to be able to live out of that place. And so the church would say, protect life. Now, as long as you know politics aren't or... Uh, any particular uh, action that's trying to be taken doesn't violate that. The society has the responsibility to provide for those who are in need, right? But if it isn't, then that's where we see a lot of the charitable works of the church coming in. And so the church also is doing all of this. In an ideal society, it would be structured such that all the needs are being provided by the society because it's a basic human respect because of the dignity of each human person. That'd be an example. Beautiful, beautiful. Maybe to step back into your your own personal experience for a moment, you've shared a number, you always share about growing up on the farm, listening to your your weekend homilies. I love just hearing these stories. And and maybe even more importantly, my I, hear, I see my kids' ears prick up like, oh yeah, the bishop's talking about being a kid on the farm again. It's great. 
Um, you know, clearly this is just growing up on the farm is such an important part of your formation, um, your family. Is there any particular experience, you know, either in your upbringing or maybe in your, your life as an adult prior to priestly ordination that, that really shaped you as a citizen and, and helped form your view of um, not necessarily just politics, but civil society more broadly? Mm-hmm. I'd say there's been some uh, several points. Certainly, you know, in some of our uh, history classes, for example, when you go through schooling. Um, but I also remember uh, a class in college. This was even so after I was on the farm. But political and legal philosophy and mm. how do you bring politics and you know the legal? What's the role of a society? What's to seek the common good? Well, what's the common good? You know, all those kinds of questions you dig into. But I'd say what formed it is deep within us. God has written truth within the very core of who we are. If we go to the deepest part of who we are, we're open to listening to what that is. Natural law, by its very operation, teaches us. Mm. So we can look at creation, right? We can look at nature. But as an example on the farm, I would remember praying and praying and praying and begging God for, uh, for rain, for example, if we needed that for the crops. Um, I learned that I needed to be dependent upon God. And to be dependent upon God then rightly orders everything else in our lives, that I'm not in control. And that's sometimes where the risk can be in a lot of political battles and so on and so forth. It's a battle of control. But what should it be? It ought to be what are the governing principles that ought to lead and guide our decision making? And so for me as a citizen and as you know, trying to uh, get my head around this, so much was taught just through the modeling of my parents, seeing their involvement in various things. You know, my dad would give blood, for example, to, uh, to, to be able to help people because he had a particular type of blood they really wanted. So he would go and do that, right? That's his way of helping for the common good, and he would know who it was for. Uh, but it's, it's witnesses. It's examples of people living their ordinary life in simple, humble, ordinary ways and whatever God has for them. But then looking how God has designed nature and ordered everything to function in a healthy way. And it's when we try to take control of that and change some of the basic principles, like the dignity of human life, that's where things start to unravel. And then you can start to see everything go downhill from there. Now it's, it's beautiful. If you're just joining us, this is Faith and Politics, our inaugural issue. I'm Chris Motz, the Executive Director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference joined today by Bishop Donald DeGroot, and we're just visiting a little bit about missionary discipleship, faithful citizenship. Bishop, maybe uh, just a few words on freedom. Freedom is a word that I've heard you use before, too. Um, You have such an attention to the interior life, to discernment, to the will of God. And when we come to a place where we really understand the will of God for ourselves, like that's a place of freedom, as I've heard you put it. This word freedom is is a word that we love as Americans also, mm-hmm. but it seems that sometimes we use it maybe a bit differently as like mm. uh, no rules, do whatever you want, that's mm. freedom. What what's a how does a Christian understand freedom? And and how do we take this understanding into our lives as as Catholic citizens? Yeah, I think we uh, we look at the identity of who we are. So if we look in scripture for example from the faith perspective, we're made in the image and likeness of God. God freely created us. It was his free choice and freedom. He chose to do that. He didn't need it for himself. He did it because he wanted to share the divine life that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the nature of divine love. You seek that which is good for other. So true freedom comes when we attain our potential as human beings. 
What are we designed for? What's our purpose? How can we uh, share in the beautiful identity of who we are? Being made in the image and likeness of God means that we are free to choose what we want. Now, the key in all of this is to remember that God chose to do it and he loved us so much that he gave us the free will. So everybody can choose whatever they want. So one might define freedom as everybody gets to do whatever they want, anytime they want. Well, whenever that happens in a society, the whole society will uh, deteriorate very quickly and become very self-centered. So you notice it's a shift of where's my focus. It's not the common good anymore. Now it's my individual good. And I have the right to do what I want to do. Well, God gave us a free will. He allows that. And society even allows that. We can't control every choice every person makes. But the role of government and civil society is to enact laws that would be for the common good. And that's why uh, when you get into these particular issues, uh, whether it's marriage, whether it's abortion, whether it's whatever the various topics are, what we really should be doing is stepping back and saying, okay, what is for the common good? Not my individual good. Because as soon as I start focusing down the road of individual good, without taking into consideration the common good, uh, that's where the problems go. And the problem is the more you feed an individual desire, individual good, the more and more people want. And that becomes more and more dysfunctional based on whether it's their passions, whether it's the wounds they're living out of, whether mm. it's their will, whether it's power, control, that's where the issues start to unravel. Well, and that's a, it seems to be it, maybe a springboard to my last question, which is about, we've got maybe about two minutes left, but sometimes our politics can be a bit discouraging and can lead us into a cynicism, which is maybe a fruit of some of these wounds and selfishness. Sure. <clears throat> but so if, if we, if we do feel discouraged or maybe get a bit cynical about just the state of our world, the state of our country, you know, do you have any thoughts on, you know, does God really care that much? Does he, does he really have a desire for like how our, our civil life looks? Is there a vision for the flourishing of society? Is there cause for hope or, mm. you know, what, what would you have to offer somebody who's just ready to throw their hands up? Yeah, you know, it'd be very legitimate to have those thoughts and feelings, first of all. That's very important to acknowledge that because that is a reality. Uh, but I think it's the, uh, fundamentally underneath that is where is our hope in? If our hope is in ourselves or even uh, go- somebody, government, whoever else it might be when things aren't going um, the way that we want them to be, if our hope isn't in God, that, then we're not even going to be able to see that the hardship that we experience from what's not going right, that God will bring something even greater out of that. Well, that's, that's, that's beautiful. And I, we didn't get all the way through my notes where that, that 28 minutes went so so quickly. I hope, uh, Bishop, that you'll come back and join us again, uh, to, to dive into some more, one of the topics we didn't get to is family. You talk about your family all the time. In the church, of course, family is a building block of society, but maybe maybe another time. Be happy to. So thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. God bless you all. And uh, dear listeners, thanks for joining us on this first episode of Faith and Politics. If you liked it, let us know. Reach out to uh, the South Dakota Catholic Conference. You can find us on Facebook or at sdcatholicconference.org. If you've got ideas for future shows, topics you want to hear us tackle, guests that you want us to have on. Um, I know some people have been really looking forward to getting into some like contemporary issues. So we'll, we'll, we'll tread carefully and, and maybe talk about some current events as well. But uh, you can go to sdcatholicconference.org and click contact us to share your thoughts. 
Until next time, live well.